All right, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning, and uh, certainly good to be seen. Are you awake? All right. Acts chapter 1 is where I'd like you to turn today. Acts chapter 1. We're going to look and, and walk through uh, verses 1 through 11, a few verses at a time, thinking about the subject or the sermon title is, It Ain't Over. I'll probably get in trouble for that title with somebody, but it ain't over, the continuing ministry of Jesus on earth. We've been studying the, uh, the final events of Jesus' first coming, uh, the historical facts, and then trying to consider some of the theological, biblical, personal implications of those things, certainly leading up to Easter last week, looking at Jesus' ascension and the end of the Gospel of Luke. And, uh, you know, again, it's it's empty tomb, Jesus ascends to heaven, and you go, what, what now? What do we do now? Have you all been uh, following on the news the story of the death of uh, Prince Philip? If you watch the news, you can't, can't help it. And I don't know, if you're like me, I'm watching that, and, and there's days when I just go, who cares? I, and I don't mean to say that about his death, but I'm going, I, I, don't, really, I don't really get all of the hullabaloo about, about uh, the Queen of England, but, but actually... It's, it's really an interesting story, and you look at that, and I was watching it on the news last night, and, and it is sad, and, and uh, apparently this guy um, was a very influential person in his family and in the country, and we're watching this, and it, but it's, it's so far removed from us personally, and I'm watching that procession and all of the guys with their funny hats and their trumpets and the things they're playing, and it's just like, man, I, I just don't even, I don't get it. I mean, that's not our kind of government, and it just seems far removed. And, and I say all that to say it's very possible that, that you're here today and, and you're going, man, all of this talk about Jesus and stuff that happened a long time ago in a land far, far away, and I've tried to make it applicable and, and help you to see that the things that happened in that day had cosmic, eternal Anywhere and everywhere, significance. I want you to see that. It's, it's not just like the story of some prince who went away, but that this changes everything. And so we're going to look today at the beginning of the book of Acts. And, and so we looked at Luke's gospel last week with the ascension of Jesus. And that story, that event, that historical reality becomes the pivot point over to the book of Acts. So Luke... This doctor, he did historical research, and he's writing in those that two-volume set, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, to a guy named Theophilus. Lover of God is what that name means. And, 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 and Bible scholars are a little bit torn over whether Theophilus was the guy that, that gave Luke, you know, paid his, his salary to do this because he wanted to know more about all of the beginnings of Christianity or if that's kind of a code name for everyone who loves God. It really doesn't matter. The fact is Luke is doing historical research on the beginnings of Christianity. And so the ascension of Jesus is where he pivots over from the Gospel of Luke, Volume 1, over to the book that we call Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. We're going to look at the beginning of that today in this second volume of Luke's historical writings. And, and what I want to do here is to help you to see that not only what happened in the final days of Jesus on earth makes a difference for us, but also we're going to see that who we are and what we are as a church today is connected 
to those events, to the beginning of the church. So let's read beginning in Acts 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 and see the continuing earthly ministry of Jesus. The first account I composed, Luke writes, O Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, historical realities. In Jesus' final days on earth, these are the things we've been looking at about his suffering there in the garden and on the cross and about his resurrection, the empty tomb, and after the resurrection, the appearances, how he appeared to many people over the course of 40 days and he was ascended into heaven. That is not the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. It's the end of his physical presence and his first coming to earth. But what we actually see is that the church is the continuation of the earthly ministry of Jesus. In other words, Jesus was here. Luke writes, in my former volume, in the Gospel of Luke, I showed you, I wrote to you what Jesus began to do and what he taught. And now I'm showing you how his ministry is continued through ordinary people just like you and like me. The ministry of Jesus now on earth is entrusted to ordinary people. He mentions the apostles, that is the twelve that Jesus specifically chose to become the foundational leaders of the church, but they weren't the only leaders at this point or the only Christians. We are going to see in Acts chapter 2 in the upper room, there's over a hundred, there's, there's about a hundred and something Followers of Jesus in that room, but still a pretty small band. But these are just ordinary people, tax collectors, fishermen, housewives, single ladies, all kinds of just ordinary people. And now Jesus gives to these people his continuing ministry. And so the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the apostles are those, again, most of them were, were the scripture writers. They were kind of the pastors of the early church. They were the founders. They were the missionaries. So the Acts of the Apostles in this book, in Acts, it's going to follow through about the first 12 or 13 chapters, primarily John and Peter. And then it pivots over and it starts following the Apostle Paul. So the Acts of the Apostles, the leaders of the early church, but again, they weren't the only ones. By the end of the Apostles' lives, the church now becomes solidly rooted and founded, and they put leaders in place in the local church, and they appoint pastors, elders, deacons. There are missionaries and bands of missionaries going out. There are persecuted people going out, and the gospel and the story and the ministry of Jesus is moving out from Jerusalem and into other places, and by the end of the apostles' lives, man, the church has gone many places, just like Jesus said it would. It's going to the uttermost, to other places. People are being saved. People are becoming followers of Jesus, incorporated into the church, and the church has grown. And for 2,000 years, the church has expanded and grown, and at times struggled and reformed. Here the last week there was a celebration of part of uh, uh, the Protestant Reformation, how the church reformed and got back to the Scriptures through ordinary flawed people like 
Martin Luther, John Calvin, those kind of people, the church has grown and has reformed and continued on and has changed over time. But here's the thing I want you to see. What we are today, right here, Valley Springs, First Baptist Church, we are a continuation of the ministry that Jesus began. That's what we're to be about. And I, for one, am amazed and thrilled by the prospect that God invites ordinary, flawed people to be a part of his eternal plan, what he is doing throughout all of history. It's exciting to me to think about the fact that God is doing something, and he invites us in to what he's doing. There is nothing I would say better to be a part of than what God is doing in the world. He invites us to be a part of that. That's amazing. I love it the way Henry Blackaby says in Experiencing God. He says, God is at work in the world, and he invites us to join him in his work. So often, we think about the church as being our work. It's our thing. It's my thing. I've got to figure it up. I've got to conjure it up. I've got to be creative enough. Hey, folks, Jesus has already laid it down. And we need to adapt it in our day. But we know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to follow and continue in the ministry of Jesus. When Jesus ascended, it wasn't over. Actually, it marked the beginning of the church age. Hey, let me give you a little a little biblical history lesson. How about that? You say, oh, joy. I'm excited. Here you go. This, you know, biblical history. I'm going to give you the simple version, and I think this is really helpful, to think about the storyline of the Bible. The Bible teaches this, that basically there are two ages. Two ages. There is the current age, or this age, and there's the age to come. How's that for Exciting. This age, age to come. In the simplest iteration of it all, we need to think about biblical history in that way. We are in, hey, this age. We're not yet in the age to come. There is this age, and there is the age to come. Now, we could subdivide this age into a couple of things, and there's ways we could parse that out and divide it, but let me tell you this. When Jesus came and he died, I mean, the coming of Jesus and his death and his resurrection and his ascension is a pivotal point in this age. It moves us into maybe a little parenthesis or a part of this age that we could call the church age. Or sometimes the Bible calls it the last days. You know what age you're living in? Say with me, this age. Say this age. Now say, we're in the last days. You're in the last days of this age. The last days were marked when Jesus ascended into heaven. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, Peter will give a sermon and he'll quote and he says, and in these last days. We are in the last days of the current age that spans all the way back. We could argue, but I would just say it spans all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden with the fall. We are in this age in the last days of this age. Think about that for just a minute that you are living in the last days. You're living in the last days of this current age as followers of Jesus. What are we supposed to be doing? What what is the mark of the church in the last days of the current age? 
Well, let's look at verses 4 through 8, the first part of verse 8. There is the coming of the Holy Spirit, who is promised and essential for the church to be effective at doing the ministry of Jesus on earth in the last days. Verses 4 through 8. Now, this is before Jesus ascends, and he says, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Let's stop right there. The coming Holy Spirit. Jesus promised. And he says the Spirit will be essential for you to continue my ministry in the last days of this current age. You know, as amazing as it is that Jesus, the Son of God, came born of a virgin to this world. He came to this earth and he died and he ascended. And as amazing as it is that he invites us to be a part of his work, here's something even more astounding. God the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, I will pour out on you. The Holy Spirit will come and indwell you as Christians. You'll be baptized is what he told them. You'll be immersed with the Holy Spirit. You'll be saturated with the Holy Spirit. This really disturbed the disciples, I think, when Jesus says, you know, I'm going away. And they're like, what? How are we going to do this without you? He said, actually, it's better for you if I go away. You see, the same spirit that animated Jesus, that resided in Jesus, he said, I will send that spirit and pour the spirit out on you. So it's actually better for you. You will do things that I never did in scope. You will go into places I never went empowered by the Holy Spirit You will see God do amazing things through you, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is so important that we realize that in the continuing work of Jesus that we do, it must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is pretty climactic. And so Jesus doesn't pour out the Spirit right there. He says, you need to go and wait. You need to go to Jerusalem. You need to go and wait, and a day will come. It's what we call the day of Pentecost, and I'll pour out the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to get into all the pneumatology, all the things about the Holy Spirit, but just to say this, I don't think that it happens in that same way today that we're supposed to go and wait. We're not supposed to go and wait any more than we're supposed to go to Jerusalem to get the Holy Spirit. But he says, the the Holy Spirit will come. I will pour him out, and he will be available to you to empower you. And he will be at work in your life. His presence will make a difference in your life and in the ministry of the church. The essential promised work of the Spirit. And I think that sometimes as Baptists, we go to the Word of God and we're Jesus people and we're Bible people, but I fear that sometimes we're not as much Holy Spirit people. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit Spirit is absolutely essential to you doing anything. We need the Holy Spirit. And we need to live in, I think, the baptism, the fullness of the Spirit. The Bible will say this. You know, later Paul writes this. He says, be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. 
So it is possible that even though as Christians we have the Holy Spirit residing with us, within us, it is possible to live in such a way that we're not living in the fullness and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to do what God would have us to do, we need to yield to the Holy Spirit. That's part of living in this age and making the impact that Jesus had in the world. All right? So the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to see, and we're going to look back at verse 6, and then the end of verse 8, the kingdom of God. So they asked Jesus when they came together, they were asking, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And then the end of verse 8, he says this, You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Jesus here shifts their paradigm in their thinking to say, you know, this is not some parochial little Israel only right here, just the three of us, the ten of us, the twelve of us. It's not a parochial little movement. He blows their mind. He says, I'm teaching, and he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And he says, the kingdom of God is not just for Israel. He says, you know, they ask the question, but are you going to restore the kingdom at this time to Israel? He said, it's not going to be about Israel only. You're going to go out and you're going to be my witnesses everywhere. He gives them a kingdom of God perspective. He expands their view and their vision of what God is doing in the world. And I fear that sometimes we, just like those disciples, get in this little mindset, Lord, what about our little group and our little group alone? And we forget about the fact that we're to be a missionary people. And I'll tell you, there's a reset in every generation. It's amazing to me. You know, the gospel has gone out to the uttermost. But that has to happen continually and in every generation. As new people are born and come into the world, the church has to re-embrace being a witness right here at home and abroad and further out and to the uttermost. That continues to be what we're to be about, not just us four and no more. One of the things that we're doing in this month is we've got little envelopes out and around for our um, Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And that offering is to empower North American missions. It's to send out church planters all over North America. It's to multiply ministries in North America. Right? That's what? What is that? Is that our Judea or Samaria? Yeah, well, it's one of those. It's to say we're about gospel ministry, not just here, certainly here, but in other places. And I want to encourage you this month to give to that, to be a part of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the uttermost. You know, I think that often our vision is too small. Our vision of ministry and missions is too small. And I also think sometimes our view of God is too narrow. Our God is too small. And I think that certainly was true for the disciples at this time. And so they're going, hey, Lord, are you, are you going to do this thing right here in Israel? And he says, you know what? I'm not even going to tell you. God, God doesn't tell us all of the mysteries. It's not for you to know the times and the epics and what all he's going to do everywhere. But here's how much you do know. He says, I'm sending you out to be my witnesses. God doesn't expect us to understand all the great mysteries and the things that are secret and belong to him, but he has told us things that are very clear. He's given us tasks and commissions to be his people, 
And we do know those things, and he expects obedience to the things that we do know. Amen? Sometimes we try to ferret and figure out all of the things that we can never know because it's fun. It's fun to try to figure out the mysteries. But you know what's greater than figuring out a mystery? It's just obedience to the things that are clear. We are to be his witnesses in our place and in our day. To be about the global expansion of God's kingdom. And I'll tell you, it's amazing if you just look around and listen and travel about and talk to people a little bit about how much God is doing all around the world through his people. And to be a part of that, man, again, what a privilege. I, I had a good, uh, good little trip on Thursday. A couple of pastor friends and I, I got invited to go along to Walnut Ridge, Arkansas. And, and, and you're not going to Walnut Ridge for any other purpose but this, I think. And there's a little college there called Williams Baptist University. It's a great little uh, school. My grandpa actually went there when it was a two-year school called Southern Baptist College. They were preparing people for ministry. Now it's a Christian liberal arts school. And, and again, I go, man, you've got to be coming to Williams to go to Walnut Ridge. And we went and we heard about that Christ-centered ministry there, how they're equipping the next generation of people. I was just, I, man, I was blown back. I'd been there before and seen the campus, but it was amazing to see just that, that little slice of ministry and how God uses all sorts of people, uses coaches, not just in Christian schools, but in other schools. God is using academic people, people with PhDs. God is using people with farm skills in that little place. They're starting a little farm and a work program. All sorts of people God is using in his mission to spread the reality and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Hey, let me just say something to you. You say, I'm no theologian. I'm no, I'm no academic or I'm no preacher. Well, what are you by God's grace? I tell you, if you're a Christian, God has given you a unique set of giftings. He's given you His Holy Spirit to animate those things. He's given you life experiences. He's given you a unique calling for the glory of God. And don't feel like, if you're not an apostle, a pastor, a teacher, or whatever, you know, if you're not the person who stands up here, or you're not the person that's going to lead the Sunday school, that you have no place in the kingdom of God. God is using all of his people. That is his desire, to use every Christian for the glory of God, for the expansion of the gospel in this day and time. The Bible says this, hey, whatever you do, even down to the simplest acts of eating and drinking. How many of y'all know how to eat and drink? <laughs> Amen, brother. I'm getting pretty, I'm pretty good at that stuff. I'm pretty good at eating and drinking. But everything that you do, you can do it for the glory of God and for the sake of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has no boundaries. It belongs everywhere. And we're given the task of expanding the kingdom of God in every place and in every time. But listen, and I'm going to close with one last point, but it's a long point, so brace yourselves. It's a big one. It's a good one. I thought about making it its own sermon, but let's just do it today. What do you say? Ah, let's do it today. This current age, the age that is, will one day end. There are two ages. There's this age, and there is the age to come. 
There is the last days of this age, which were marked by Jesus' ascension, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, that is the church age. And we are given a task of expanding God's kingdom all around the globe in our day and time. One day, friends, this age will end. And it will usher in what the Bible calls the age to come. The age to come is ushered in by Jesus' second coming. Now I want you to look with me at verses 9 through 11 at the king's return. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. They're watching the ascension. They're astounded. And there are these two, we would say, heavenly messengers or angelics. They say, Why are you standing around with your mouth gaped open looking up in the sky? He told you what to do next. But... In the same way that you saw him go, you can be assured that Jesus is going to come to earth. Just as sure as he came the first time, he's coming again. This is the king's return. And he taught them, get about your business. You're in the last days now of this present age. And when Jesus comes again, though it doesn't give us all this information here, that's going to mark the end of this age. And it's going to mark the end of the church's ministry of expanding the kingdom and Jesus is going to come and he's going to consummate his kingdom. Theologians call this, call this the parousia. That is his appearance or his coming back, his arrival to earth. That's the other part of it ain't over. When Jesus left this earth, there was the promise that he was actually coming back and this current state of affairs will end And he will usher in a new age. And I want to share some things with you about the age that is to come that's marked by Christ's return. We're not given much information in Acts 1, so I'm going to reference. I just want you to jot down the references, and I'm going to read some of this. I want us to consider a little more about the king's return. What what is going to happen when Jesus returns to earth? What is the age to come going to be like? And how should we think as Christians in this age about that age that is to come? Parousia, the arrival of someone to a particular place. The second coming of Jesus. What happens? The first one I'm going to read is Mark 13, verses 24 through 27. Here we see that Jesus returns not as a peasant, as some might have called him, in his first coming, but he comes back as a powerful king in great power and glory. Mark 13, listen to this. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. By the way, this is the words of Jesus. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end from the heaven. Jesus returned as king. He's coming back in great power and great glory with heavenly angels 
and messengers. And it says that he's going to gather in his elect. There is, at this time, there's going to be awe. It's going to be a shock and awe kind of moment. And people are going to see Jesus in his glory. And it says he's going to gather his elect. So we understand that there's going to be a separating at that point of those who belong to Jesus, who claim the name of Jesus, who are his. There's going to be a separation between those and those who are not. That's the gathering of the angels. All right, so he's coming in power and in glory. Here's another one, Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. And I think this tells us a little more about why, why are the elect being gathered and separated and Jesus is coming in his power and his glory. We're going to see that God's judgment is going to be rendered at this point and his righteous governance is going to be exercised. And we're going to see that he's actually going to conquer the enemies of God. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So John's given a vision. This is apocalyptic language, but it could not be more clear that Jesus is coming as a ruling king. And there are those who have fought against God. They are the enemies of God. People who rebel and persist in their rebellion against God. Refuse to bow the knee to Jesus. Who came to extend mercy and grace and peace. And restoration with God. And he comes at this time with all of the power of heaven. And he executes judgment. That is clear. Against those who persisted. In the rebellion. So he's coming in power and glory with righteous judgment that belongs to the Lord in the age to come. What else is going to happen? I need to share with you 1 Corinthians 15, verses 23 through 27. At that time when Jesus comes, there is the gathering of the elect. And I think that what that also speaks to is the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of those who are Christ as he establishes his kingdom. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 15, 23 through 27, But each in his own order, Christ is raised first fruits, and after that, those who are Christ at his coming. Did you hear that? See, Christ was resurrected from the dead. He was raised bodily. We took pains to show that. And it says, so those who are Christ will be resurrected bodily at his coming. That's what Paul says. And then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. So 
Christ comes, power and glory. He raises the dead, those who are his. He brings about God's judgment. And then he abolishes all other powers and rules and dominions and authorities and enemies. And I love what Paul says, and it's at that time that he abolishes the greatest enemy, which is death. He abolishes death. So, Christ's return, if you don't get anything else today, mark this down. When Christ returns, when the king returns, he's going to reign. There's going to be a resurrection, and there's going to be a righteous judgment. And that's going to mark the age that is to come. And we need to be ready for that. Every individual needs to be ready to meet Jesus. Now, for the Christians, I want to give you some practical things today, and I'm just going to give you these references. I'll not read them. How is Christ's promised return supposed to shape the way that we live and operate today? I'll give you three verses. The first one is 1 Corinthians 1.7, which basically teaches this. In light of the fact that Jesus Christ is going to return in power and glory, and he's going to vindicate those who are his, he's going to raise us to life, and he's going to put away all enemies, all the unrighteous things. We can live with eager anticipation and service to God. Eager anticipation and service to God. 1 Corinthians 1.7, he's talking about, man, you've been given the Holy Spirit. Serve Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's tons of terrible things going on around the world, but you know what? Jesus wins. And we don't have to live in gloom and despair and defeated emotions. We don't have to be beat down and hopeless. Christian, you should be of all people full of hope because you know that Christ is coming. And he's going to set all of the wrongs right. He's going to make it what he intended it to be. Live with eager anticipation and serve the Lord. So often we get caught serving all kinds of other things, things that, man, they don't make a hill of beans difference, things that will not last. There's nothing worse than giving all of your time and energy and focus and love and money to something that's gone in a moment. But serving Christ serves an eternal purpose, and it makes a difference. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 is another one. Peter teaches that the return of Christ should give us perseverance in trials. Perseverance in trials. Hey, if you belong to Jesus, guess what? You're going to be hated. You're going to be hated. You're going to be mistreated. At times you're going to be persecuted just simply because you stand with Jesus. Just simply because you try to tell somebody about eternal life and about the judgment to come. People don't want to hear that. People need to hear that. But they don't all want to hear that. And you'll be persecuted. And so Peter says, hey, listen, Christ is coming again. You don't have to pick up your sword and your guns against those people. He said, Christ will vindicate you. Persevere. Persevere through the trials. You'll be restored. No matter what this world can throw at you, it's nothing in light of the glory that's going to come with Christ's return. The last one is James 5, 7 through 8. 
And James teaches basically that we're to be like farmers. We're to be like farmers who put our seed in the ground. Putting our hope in Christ is like putting our seed in the ground. How many of y'all have planted some stuff in your garden? How many of you, some of your stuff's up? How many of you, some of your stuff's going to die when it freezes this week? <laughs> You're going to have to put it back out, right? And, uh, you know, when you put a seed in the ground, you don't go out five minutes later and go, I'm ready to harvest some corn. You don't put out a tomato plant, a little bitty tomato plant, and go out and harvest tomatoes the next day. You put the stuff out, you put the seed in the ground, you put the plants out, and you wait. And you wait. And you fertilize. And you pray for rain. And you wait. And you wait. Because every farmer knows that the harvest is later. And the farmer perseveres with joy and with strength. One thing about it, a wise farmer once told me, it is eventually going to rain. I put up $1,000 worth of fertilizer, and that's a drop in the bucket for most people. My wife made me do it. And, and I was like, oh, throwing $1,000 on the ground. That's so painful. And you go out and you look, and there's all those little pellets laying on the ground. And you go, Lord, please let it rain. Please let it melt that and, and grow my grass. And, and, and they were promising rain on the day after I put out my fertilizer. It didn't rain. But you know what it did? It eventually rained. It always eventually rains. Even when the weatherman misses it, and it doesn't come when you think it should, it always eventually rains. And so a good farmer who farms in faith puts out his seed, puts out his fertilizer, and says, it's going to rain. It's going to come. And as Christians, we're looking to Jesus. We know that the harvest is going to come. We know that he is going to deliver every good and perfect and precious promise that he has given us. And so we put our seed and our hope and our time and our efforts and our very lives into serving Jesus. But don't expect it to yield a harvest tomorrow. The harvest comes at the end of the age when he fulfills every promise to us. And so, James says, persevere in patience and in good faith. Have a strengthened heart knowing that your fertilizer is going to melt. Your seed's going to come up and it's going to produce a harvest. I was talking with Kurt earlier about success and failure in the Christian realm. And uh, one of the greatest apparent failures in Christian history is a guy named William Carey. William Carey was a missionary. He, he was convinced, father of the modern missionary movement, they call him. He was convinced that God was calling him to go to a foreign people, to learn the language, to share the gospel of Jesus to people who hadn't heard it. And he went, and he was obedient. And the first year came. You know how many converts he had? Nope. And he stayed. Second year, you know how many converts? I believe it was seven years on the mission field before one person came to Christ. He had given everything to go and be faithful. And we serve a Lord, and sometimes we're serving with all of our heart and our might, 
and nothing's happening. You know what you've got to do? Keep serving. Persevere in strength. There are mis- Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, there were some missionaries to South America who went to take the gospel to these, I mean, they, they were still running around naked and, and, and carrying spears, missionary, uh, uh, Indian people. And they went to take the gospel to them. And they'd been making contact with them through airplanes. They'd been dropping gifts down to these people. Got them pretty interested. That's kind of like what the government's doing today. Never mind. <laughs> you know, giving free stuff. So, so they'd see the airplane, they'd see the free stuff. They're like, we're kind of liking that, right? Stimulus plan. And they were doing that as a missionary strategy. And uh, so that's how they were making contact. Well, eventually they landed the plane and they went to make contact and they had some contact. And then if you've ever seen the movie The End of the Spear or read that book, you know that basically before they could have very much conversation, those peoples killed them with a spear. Killed these men, these missionaries. Left widows and fatherless children. Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and I forget the other one, uh, his name, they gave their lives. And basically, it looked like for nothing. It looked like for nothing. But you know what? That people group today, because the wives stayed, they were reached with the gospel, and that is a Christian people today. It bore fruit. And we don't ever know when, except to say this, when Jesus comes again, faith will become sight. And he will right every wrong. And it will be an amazing thing. But in the meantime, he's called us to sow seeds, to be patient, to persevere in faith, trusting him with our lives. That's who we are as a church, as Christians, continuing the earthly ministry of Jesus in hope and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you bow with me? If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, just let me say this to you, that one of these days there will not be another chance could be at the end of your life. It could be that this age ends and Christ comes in power and glory and in judgment and you'll not be prepared to stand before him. So could I just invite you today to trust Christ who is the king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father today in power and glory And you're sitting amongst his people, people who have been saved by grace. It's nothing that we do. It's only repenting of our sins and trusting Christ. I want to invite you to do that today, to be prepared for the age to come. Christian, as you're here today, would you be encouraged along with me in reading these things and hearing these things to remember that we're to give it all 
in this life to Jesus. Wherever he calls, wherever he sends, and in every relationship and in everything that we do, we are to glorify Jesus and expand the kingdom of God and the power of the Spirit. Would you yield yourself afresh and anew today to continue the ministry of Jesus? Would you yield your heart and your life to the filling of the Holy Spirit so that he might guide you and empower you and lead you in ministry and in life? Just going to have a moment of time of, of prayer, silent, and then I'll close this. I want to invite you to do business with the Lord today. Whatever that business is, you do it with Him in prayer. Lord, today I pray that you remind us deep within the recesses of our hearts of who we are as your peculiar people. Restore to us that vision of being a part of the greatest thing that has ever happened in this world. The kingdom of Christ. I pray that we would be moved and compelled and gripped today by your invitation to us to be a part of this amazing thing. Help us to embrace that with joy. Help us to continue in that with perseverance. Help us to endure the hardship and the ugly things that are said. And even if it comes to the point of persecution or harm or whatever it is, Lord, help us to be anchored by view of all of history that says one of these days these things will pass and that you will restore and bring about your righteous kingdom and in that day we'll receive the promises that you've given us so help us to continue on in faith and hope and in love we pray these things in Jesus name Amen well, let me thank you for being here today, and uh, we're going to be dismissed here in just a second, and uh, probably the business meeting packets are out there, I think, on the table. Is that right? And uh, what's that? And the, and the deacon ballots. So uh, members, if you would, grab those. should be a short business meeting, and uh, we'll start that in probably about 10 minutes. All right, so thank you for being here. Let me invite you back to our Wednesday uh, Bible Studies prayer meeting. Uh, youth and children's gatherings, and hope to see you back also next Sunday.